As a part of the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice School Responder Model podcast series, Dr. Crystal Brando talks with Lauren Kazee, a consultant on the National Institute of Justice Comprehensive School Safety Initiative, operated by NCYOJ, about self-care and wellness for educators. Hi, this is Crystal Brando, Senior Project Associate with the National Center for Youth Opportunity and Justice. I am here today with Lauren Kazee to talk about self-care for educators. Lauren is an LMSW and founder of Living Slow, and she spent most of her career working um, with mental health topics related to staff and students in schools. Hi, Crystal. First, thanks so much for having me and for that introduction. It's an honor to be invited, and I'm looking forward to our dialogue today around self-care. This area of self-care is a broad topic that's been in and out of fashion over the years in a number of different disciplines and industries, and the issue of educator self-care has really come to the forefront recently. Why do you think that is, Lauren? It's been um, really exciting, actually, to see more focus on educator self-care. There's a definitely an increase in expectations of educators in the last few years. We're also really starting to see the stress that teachers are under. There's more conversation around burnout, compassion fatigue, secondary traumatic stress, emotional exhaustion. And uh, there have been numerous studies done recently. One in particular was um, a study of urban public school teachers that found that 90% of teachers were in the high risk range for compassion fatigue and, um, you know, 40% also had high risk of burnout. So there are many different studies that indicate that, you know, teachers are really showing signs of stress and um, fatigue in their position. There was a recent study also from the American Federation of Teachers that 73% of educators, and there was over 30,000 that participated in this survey, said that they find their work to be stressful. Um, We've seen that about 41% of teachers will leave within five years. Um, So I think a lot of that is because there isn't a good support. Teachers are stressed. There's a lot of financial pressures. We've also seen, in addition to that, the colleges of education have experienced a decrease in enrollment. So really, they have some numbers from 2009 until 2014, and it shows that colleges of education have seen a decrease in enrollment by about 35%. So this is almost 240,000 less teachers in the field from 2009 until 2014. So there really is, I think, more focus and emphasis on trying to address educator self-care just because we're seeing all of these different um, impacts to, to our teachers. Thank you. And that's a pretty significant decrease in the amount of educators available in schools all around the country. So for those who are continuing to go to school, get an education um, to be teachers or otherwise work in schools, what are some of the conditions that these educators are facing in school now? And maybe some things that might be unique now versus maybe previous generations of educators. So, you know, like I mentioned um, previously, we've seen an increase in expectations around academic achievement. So there's a lot more expectation. We hear people talking about teaching to the test and teachers feeling the pressure to make sure that they are in meeting benchmarks and expectations. We know that one in five students has a mental health issue that could impact their ability to learn. And so teachers are having a hard time Um, knowing how to resolve those misbehaviors in class and to 
meet the needs of the students. You know, they are in colleges of education aren't typically teaching, preparing teachers on how to address mental health needs or giving them um, classroom management behavior skills and strategies to use in a classroom. So that can be very difficult for teachers. Being able to have those skills to be able to address those classroom behaviors is challenging. And we also know in schools now that there is less parental support. Um, So there was another study done by Psychology Today that says that one-third of students say that their parents have no idea how they're doing in school. One-sixth of students say that their parents don't even really care if they make good grades or not. A fifth of um, students said that parents are consistently not attending, or only a fifth of parents are attending after-school programs, and um, and then more than 40% never come to any school functions. And wow. I know working with schools, that seems to be a complaint frequently is really how to engage parents. And I know there are some great resources around that um, can help schools do that. And then finally, I think just the lack of funding and support and support um, staff available for teachers can really make it also difficult. So they may not have a school nurse. um, They may not have a school social worker or school counselors available. And so a lot of this does then fall on the teachers to manage these different um, needs in their classroom while also trying to um, meet the needs of the common core standards and the, and the benchmarks. Mm -hmm. And it's interesting that quite a few of the conditions that you just mentioned really relate to the inherent, um, intention of a school responder model. So a school responder model is an alternative approach to addressing student behavior in schools, one that focuses on keeping the student in schools and out of the juvenile justice system. So you mentioning like the higher incidences of Uh, maybe challenging behaviors in the classroom that really relates to school responder models and how to learn to um, navigate that environment with those students and how to work with students there um, and really get to the root of what's going on, whether that's through encouraging schools to do screening, which is a key piece of the school responder model, um, having conversations with students and their families to really understand if that challenging behavior is related to maybe a mental health condition, substance use disorder, um, trauma history or so on, how can those behaviors be instances that can help get that child into some supports that they might need um, rather than just seen as something challenging that's happening in the classroom and then left alone? Yeah. And I lo- that's a great point. And I love the school responder model in the sense that in addition to the things that you said, that it also helps to equip teachers with what is normal adolescent development, what are challenging behaviors that they see, and maybe what are the roots to that. So it helps to bring awareness to the educator so that it isn't just, oh, this kid is trying to make dif- things difficult in class or be disruptive, but that there may be a legitimate reason why that behavior is there. And so I think it helps to increase awareness and then come up with a referral process to be able to support that youth so that they can get the help that they need. So it takes some um, pressure off of the teachers in class because they have a referral pathway Mm -hmm. in order to to tap into to be able to support the student. Yeah, thank you for adding that. And it's not uncommon, we know um, from the research that's out there, that teachers may experience things like burnout from uh, just the daily demands of the work that they're doing. And it's not just working with um, students in the classroom. There are so many expectations on teachers of things they have to get done in a day. And you mentioned previously um, when we started off this conversation, burnout, compassion fatigue, secondary stress. Can you 
explain a little bit more about what these terms mean, maybe what the differences are and how they relate to self-care for educators? Sure. So, you know, there is confusion. I think people use these terms interchangeably and they really are. There's a lot of overlap between them, but burnout is really more about the person having lack of um, energy, they're feeling exhausted, and it's more related to their workday. So a lack of motivation, maybe feeling like they don't want to come to work, um, having a shorter fuse when it comes to dealing with behaviors in the classroom. Compassion fatigue is a little bit broader than that, and it's something that obviously can affect you in your workday, but it's outside of your workday. And so not only do you not have um, compassion or patience for your students, but it also will trickle then into your personal life. So maybe you're snapping at your kids more, or you have less patience with your partners, significant other, family members. So it's not just while you're at work in the workday where you come into a school and you're feeling burdened and lack motivation, but it's which would just be burnout, but compassion fatigue is really across the spectrum and impacts your life. Secondary traumatic stress is even a little bit more severe than that. And that is when a person would exhibit signs of like post-traumatic stress disorder. So we see that not only with, typically we used to see that with social workers and social service agency employees who were addressing needs in a counseling situation or, you know, in foster care situations, but now we're seeing it in a classroom and in a school setting. And it's really when the adult has been exposed to somebody who's experienced trauma. And so those symptoms are kind of becoming more apparent to them. So they are triggered by different experiences. Maybe they have heard stories of students and their challenges at home or something that's, you know, an abuse that has happened to a kid. And then that would impact them in more of a post-traumatic stress disorder kind of way. So it's really that indirect exposure to trauma that influences you personally, even if you haven't experienced that same trauma. Mm -hmm. And that's um, something that's really important, I think, for educators and those supporting educators to be mindful who may not be familiar with these terms to really understand the difference. And that can help um, folks better take care of themselves if they understand more of what they might be navigating. Yes, for sure. So with that in mind, why, um, in your opinion, and again, um, Lauren is the founder of Living Slow, which specializes and focuses on self-care and and wellness principles. So and from your opinion, and the work that you do, as well as the work that you've done throughout the state of Michigan, working with schools and with educators, why is self-care so important um, for, for this population? So thank you for asking that. And, you know, I have spent a long time, my career primarily focused on student mental health. And what I noticed as I was working with schools, uh, especially in Michigan, but in other states, is that we were really neglecting the adults. And I kind of I kind of use the term like, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. We're all pretty familiar with that. And I think it really does relate to schools as well, that, you know, teachers have to be whole and healthy to be able to pour themselves into students. And because we know that the students that are coming into our classrooms are carrying so many more issues and all of this baggage and trauma and mental health difficulties, you know, teachers really do have so much more to attend with. And um, so I think, you know, being able to address their mental health, educators' mental health, and making sure that they're healthy, it can impact their own mental well-being. 
And so, you know, if they're doing well, then they're able to then meet the needs of kids in a more um, productive way. So we there's research that talks about the benefits of self-care for educators and some of the different activities that I would recommend, among many, many others, are to think about ways to reduce stress, which is kind of funny because it's almost near impossible to think about how to do that. But if there are things that um, we can, you know, really attend to to help to um, alleviate some of that. So we know that there are some of the benefits of participating in self-care do help us to reduce stress. They help us to increase our productivity. They improve our health. Um, I know when I have times of unusual stress or more stress than normal, I can feel like my immune system gets weak. So, um, or I may get sick after a very stressful time. So I know that when we really attend to our own wellness and our own self-care, that that can improve our physical health. In addition to our mental health, um, it, we can achieve more of a healthier work-life balance and then prevent some of that compassion fatigue that we talked about before. We also know that when we focus on self-care, it impacts morale and self and the climate in schools, which you know makes us want to be where we are, right? It's hard to come to work and feel like you don't want to be there. So if you can come to a place that feels positive and supportive and um, happy, it makes life so much better for you and your students and for the people that you work around. And we know that school climate conditions really do improve academic achievement for students. And finally, um, I think a fact that's been very interesting for me to be aware of is that the turnover rate for schools is $7.3 billion, billion with a B, dollars on an annual basis. So thinking about the financial benefits of addressing educator self-care could also be a good motivator. Wow. Thank you so much for that. Self-care is definitely important. And I want to get into in a little bit some of the actual tips and tools you think educators can do themselves to focus on self-care. But before going there, I um, wanted to ask you what you think administrators can do. So like at Policy Research Associates, we have a portfolio on workplace wellness and mentally healthy workplaces. And a huge piece of that is not what an individual can do for themselves at work, but what the employer can do or the organization can do to create supportive environments that can promote um, mental health, wellness, self-care, and so on in a variety of workplaces. So specific to education, um, what are some things that you think that administrators can do to help support their staff? That's a great question, Crystal. I think, you know, as I've worked with teachers around the state of Michigan um, on this issue of self-care that I've heard frequently that they feel like they don't get a say in how things go. Sometimes administrators will make decisions for them like you're going to teach this curriculum or you're going to, you know, teach these classes or here's the kids and they don't feel like they're really pulled into the conversation. It's kind of like decisions are made about them or for them without them. And so I think giving teachers an opportunity to say what they are feeling or what they need, letting them be heard and validating their feelings makes a huge difference. I think if administrators can also give teachers permission to um, speak their mind, to say their truth, to um, address their own self-care needs. I think being able to feel the freedom to say to a principal, you know, like, um, 
I'm having a rough day today. I need to take this second half of the day off, or I need somebody to come in and check on these kids for me or somebody, you know, I need 10 minutes to just go collect myself. Can somebody watch my class to feel like they have the freedom and the permission and the support to say, you know what, I need to um, go sit down and have some coffee for a minute here, or I can't stay after school today for this. So I think being able to feel like they have the support to say what they need and have those needs addressed without feeling like they'll, they'll be some kind of punitive um, reaction because of that. The other thing that I would encourage administrators to do is really acknowledge the things that they see teachers doing that are working well. So being able to provide accolades or positivity, a support, Um, I know other teachers in schools have kind of done like support groups where they work together and give each other tips on different strategies in the classroom. And that has helped to have those collegial moments together. And I know that administrative support has been found to really increase teacher job satisfaction. So again, being able to provide safe spaces for teachers, support, positivity, we know that that helps teachers to feel like, you know, the morale is high and that they, they really want to be invested in the, in the building. So getting to what I imagine some folks listening may really want to hear about are those things that the educators can take upon themselves to do to focus on self-care and maybe try to reduce some of the experiences or um, negative outcomes associated with things like burnout and things like that. So what are some recommendations that you have for educators for taking care of themselves? So this is my most favorite thing to talk about. Um, And I know having worked in a school for a long time and worked with teachers for many, many years that often teachers do not have time to even go to the restroom during the day because things are so stressful and so rushed. So I really have tried to fashion my philosophy around things that can be easily integrated throughout the day just because I know nobody has extra time. Um, I think one of the main things that I find that help teachers is to really just think about more of to be more aware and self-aware, to notice what you're feeling, when you're feeling it, to think about what you need in that moment. You know, I've already kind of mentioned that there are some times that, you know, kids can come in from recess or maybe right before a holiday or right after a holiday and behaviors are ramped up that sometimes a teacher may just need a minute or two to regroup and catch their breath. And I think it's okay to be able to say, like, I just need a minute here. Um, I think also the thing that I like to talk to teachers about is thinking about boundaries and how to establish those. Sometimes being able to say no is super hard to do. It's something that I have to practice from time to time in my own life. But to think about what are limits and what are you okay to take on and what are you not okay? What are the things that you value? And to not take away from your own quiet time or time with family or friends or things that you value. So being able to think about what is what can you take on realistically and not just going in automatic pilot and doing it because that's just who you are. And I know teachers tend to um, also be caregivers. I kind of call it like the caregiver curse where we just automatically think, oh, I've got to take care of this and take care of this and take care of this without really thinking. And we kind of get into our default mode. So being more self-aware and thinking about boundaries and being um, being okay to say no. The other thing I like to encourage 
uh, educators to do is to, in that same vein, is to be honest. So if you're feeling overwhelmed, it's okay to say that, or I'm stressed, or, you know, this class is really, you know, rubbing me the wrong way today. I think it's okay to have confidants that you work with, colleagues that are safe for you to be able to be honest and say, um, you know, how you're feeling in the day and get the support that you need. I also encourage teachers to take mental health days. I know sometimes it's hard to, you know, not um, be in the class and to set up lesson plans for a sub and to trust a sub to take over your class and what will you come back to the next day. But being able to take some time for yourself and take a day off from time to time is super helpful. Uh, another idea is to be proactive instead of reactive. I was talking to a superintendent about this yesterday on the phone. We were talking about just self-care for his teachers and for them to kind of think ahead, like what are times when things could be very stressful and to kind of set up you know, plans in place so that you can be proactive and preemptive before things could get out of hand so then you don't have to be reactive. I also try to encourage people to make the most of opportunities when they present themselves. So if your students have gone to a special or they're going to recess or to make sure that you're even taking time for yourself at lunch, sometimes it's helpful to even just put your head down on your desk and set the alarm on your phone for two or five minutes to just close your eyes and regroup and, and have a breather Maybe you drive to work without the radio on, or maybe you go home from work without the radio on just to be able to sit in silence and to regroup and to take um, a few moments for yourself. And there, of course, are, you know, teacher retreats and self-care conferences and um, different workshops that teachers can take. And all of that is great. And I think, you know, if you have the availability to do that financially or with time, I support those too. But I think being able to even incorporate small little quick things like this throughout your day could be helpful. Yeah. And a lot of that, like you're mentioning, Lauren, the small little things, the mindfulness piece, you know, just like you're saying, driving and drive, be present in that driving. Um, Maybe instead of talking on the phone or planning what you have to do next, and um, those things can really make a a big difference. Uh, Policy Research Associates has, as part of our well-being podcast collection, a podcast on mindfulness that I actually think would be a really nice supplement to this if anyone wants to check that out and take a listen. So before we wrap up today's discussion, Lauren, is there anything else that you just think it's important to add for educators about self-care? So, yeah, I just had a few other resources that came to mind that I think would be helpful. There are different book clubs that are available, and I think maybe we could put the link to Mm -hmm. some of those resources here for those of you who are listening. I know some schools have started walking clubs so that maybe during lunch or after school, teachers get together and walk and talk. And just um, if you live in a place where you can go outside around, um, you know, here in Michigan, that isn't always possible around in the school year. But, um, you know, maybe you walk in the halls during lunch at school. There are numerous different websites. And again, maybe we can put those links up. I know for my website, I post a self-care blog on the first of every month. And you're welcome to visit livingslow.org and check out that blog. There's a Zen Teacher. There's Happy Teacher Revolution. There are teacher self-care podcasts that um, we can, again, you know, provide the link for you. Like I mentioned before, there's a self-care conference that happens a few times a year. And um, they have a, a website that you can visit or you can just Google Teacher Self-Care Conference and find that. And I have also seen through that website that there are self-care calendars. 
So there are, um, you know, monthly calendars that have daily activities of self-care and suggestions. I have several of those resources myself through my LLC. Um, You know, if you have five minutes, here are some suggestions. If you have 10 minutes, here are some suggestions. If you have 30 minutes. So I am happy for people to email me and follow up and I can send those resources as well. Um, There are, you know, again, it's a new field. It's a new focus. So there are a few things out there, but I'm sure with time, there will be more to come. Great. It's been a pleasure having you here and talking about self-care, which is really important for all educators, all those involved with schools, and especially in the context of the school responder model, which is the goal of this new podcast series to emphasize how these different pieces can come together and we can be a resource for those schools implementing their school responder models. So thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure to work with you. And I really appreciate your focus at PRA on all of the aspects of school and including teacher wellness as part of that. Thank Thank you. you. To learn more about self-care for educators, visit the NCYOJ School Responder Model Virtual Toolbox at srm.policyresearchinc.org. Additional information about Living Slow can be found on Lauren's website at livingslow.org. Thank you for listening.